Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Friday, February 16, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In weather, Riverside will experience a mild day with a high of 67.8 degrees and a sobering low of 51.4 as we head into the evening. Now, let's touch on the pressing stories we're following today. Our lead coverage dives into the tragic news from Russia, where opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in prison. We'll explore the implications of his death, considering the allegations of political assassination and the repercussions it may have on global human rights discourse. Shifting gears to local community safety, we delve into the potential of automated speed cameras. These devices have sparked interest as a promising tool to curb traffic-related fatalities. We'll discuss their effectiveness and the debate surrounding their widespread implementation. Lastly, we'll hear from pediatricians who are sounding the alarm on a worrying trend. The rise in drug overdoses among children and adolescents. We'll explore the crucial role of prevention and management strategies in addressing this growing health concern. Stay tuned for in-depth analysis on these stories and more. Breaking news out of Russia opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in prison under circumstances that are causing a wave of speculation and concern among his supporters and the international community. We have Ethan here with us to dive deeper into this tragic development. Ethan, can you walk us through what we know so far? Certainly, Grace. Alexei Navalny, a well-known critic of the Kremlin, has passed away at the age of 47 while serving multiple sentences in a maximum security penal colony near the Arctic Circle. The Russian prison service reports that he fell ill during a walk and subsequently lost consciousness. Despite resuscitation efforts, he was pronounced dead. Now, Navalny has been an active anti-corruption figure for years, right? Absolutely, Grace. His actions date back to leading protests in Russia in 2011-2012, and he has garnered immense international focus for his investigative work uncovering government corruption. Navalny's efforts led Amnesty International to declare him a prisoner of conscience back in 2021. Ethan, his sudden death raises a lot of questions. What's the response from his supporters? Well, Grace, his supporters and many observers are floating the idea that this could be a political assassination. Given that President Vladimir Putin has been a longtime target of Navalny's investigations, there's widespread speculation about foul play, although these claims are currently unsubstantiated. And what about official confirmation of his death? Notably, Navalny's spokeswoman mentioned that his own team is still awaiting further details to confirm the news of his death, leaving a cloud of uncertainty around the actual circumstances. Can you provide us with some context around the charges that led to Navalny's imprisonment? Surely, Grace. He was convicted on extremism and fraud-related accusations. Just last year, he received 19 years on extremism charges during a trial that was heavily criticized for a lack of transparency and due process, it was even held behind closed doors, sparking more outcry about its legitimacy. His plight attracted quite a bit of global attention as well, right? Indeed, Grace. International media, human rights groups, and even organizations like the OSCE have been vocal about the political undertones of his arrest and have continuously called for his release, drawing attention to Russia's human rights responsibilities. Ethan, wasn't there an incident involving Navalny and poisoning back in 2020? Yes, Grace, and this is a crucial part of the background. Western intelligence, including the CIA, suspected that Navalny's poisoning with a nerve agent was a Russian state-directed endeavor, 
specifically by the FSB security service. Of course, these allegations were denied by Moscow. Let's talk about the trial evidence against Navalny that the court considered. During the trial, they highlighted his anti-corruption foundation's work, his associates' statements, and controversially accused him of rehabilitating Nazi ideology and inciting extremism, including his stance against the war in Ukraine. However, Navalny and his team denounced these charges, claiming a rigged process and the trial's political motivation. His death is really sending shockwaves not just throughout Russia but internationally as well. What are the broader implications we're looking at, Ethan? Navalny's death is a stark symbol for Russian opposition and could seriously dampen morale among dissidents. There are also heightened concerns regarding human rights and rule of law in Russia, along with the potential intensification of international scrutiny and relations. Ethan, thank you for this in-depth look into Alexei Navalny's death and its broader context. This story will undoubtedly continue to evolve, and we'll keep our viewers updated as more information is available. This was story one out of three for today's top news. It was important to share this, Grace. Thank you. We turn now to story number two of today's program the debate over automated speed cameras. These devices are making strides across the country, but their impact goes beyond just snapping a photo of a speeding car. Our own Chloe is here to break down the details of this situation. Chloe, the use of these speed cameras is expanding, isn't it? Indeed, Grace, cities across the U.S. are ramping up the deployment of automated speed cameras with the goal of reducing traffic fatalities. And it's not just about penalizing drivers, there's emerging evidence that these cameras are actually changing driving behavior. What kind of evidence are we talking about? How effective are these cameras really? Well, according to a Cochrane review of 35 studies, there's been a significant impact. Speed reductions have been observed ranging from 8% to 65% with crashes decreasing between 11% and 44%. And when we look at places like Montgomery County, Maryland, there's hard data showing reduced fatalities and serious injuries thanks to these cameras. That's quite the range in speed reduction. Can you dive a bit deeper into why there's such a variance? The variance is influenced by several factors, including the location of the cameras, how well they're publicized, and the pre-existing levels of speeding. In residential areas, where speeds are already lower, the speed reduction is often more substantial. In contrast, on high-speed roads, the reduction is less, but still meaningful. Despite these positive effects, there's some pushback on this approach, right? Absolutely. Some critics argue that these cameras could be seen as a cash grab, focusing more on revenue generation than safety. Then there's the concern that they only cover specific spots and may not address speeding behavior elsewhere. Others worry about privacy rights or the potential for cameras to be exploited for profit rather than public safety. Regarding raising revenue, are there any systems in place to ensure that the money collected from these speed cameras is used appropriately? Yes, some states like California and Pennsylvania are trying to make sure that's the case. They've passed laws requiring local communities to have a say in where cameras are placed, and that the revenue from fines goes back into traffic safety improvements, not just the general fund. Interesting. Has there been any observation of long-term effects in areas with established speed camera programs? In Norfolk, England, a notable decrease in total crashes and a significant drop in fatal or serious crashes have been documented over time even on roads without cameras. It suggests that there's a sort of ripple effect as drivers become generally more cautious. 
Still, critics are calling for more longitudinal studies to fully understand these cameras' effectiveness. So, what's the feeling right now? Do these cameras have more support or opposition, given these mixed views? Despite the concerns, the general trend in research supports the effectiveness of speed cameras. In fact, the presence of these cameras in New York City, for instance, drastically reduced second offenses by 60%. The prevailing wisdom seems to favor their continued use, albeit with careful consideration of deployment strategy and community impact. Well, it seems we'll continue to see the rollout of more speed cameras in the effort to make roads safer. Thanks for that in-depth look at this story, Chloe. Always happy to provide the details, Grace. Here are some other headlines we're following this morning. In an escalating move by the Russian judiciary, opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been sentenced to an additional 19 years in prison, on top of his current 11-and-a-half-year term. This new sentence comes after charges of creating an extremist community and other alleged offenses, all of which Navalny and his supporters contend are politically manufactured. Moving the proceedings out of Moscow and into a maximum security prison's closed hearing, the government has further restricted transparency in this high-profile case. The United States has condemned the sentencing, calling for Navalny's release, while tragically, as of February 16, 2024, Alexei Navalny has been reported dead in prison by Russian state media. Switching gears to an inspiring achievement in sports, Caitlin Clark of the Iowa Hawkeyes has shattered the NCAA women's all-time scoring record, a milestone previously held by Kelsey Plum. Clark's record-breaking performance saw her drop an astonishing 49 points against the Michigan Wolverines, tallying up a total of 3,569 career points. Her on-court prowess and logo threes have electrified women's basketball, filling arenas and setting new benchmarks for viewership. Off the court, she's leveraged her skill into a marketing and social impact powerhouse, being compared to basketball legends like Stephen Curry. Turning to international news, heightened tensions in the Middle East have become apparent as Egypt constructs a border wall near the Gaza Strip. The barrier, seen in satellite images, is part of a larger contingency plan in response to a possible Israeli offensive in Rafah, raising fears of a mass displacement of Palestinians into Egypt. Despite the lack of formal acknowledgement by the Egyptian government, the international community has raised concerns about the looming humanitarian implications. And in legal news, a significant verdict is on the horizon for former President Donald Trump in his New York civil fraud trial. Judge Arthur Angeron will determine penalties and the possible banning from business in New York State for Trump and his company, following accusations of inflated asset values for securing loans. With Trump maintaining his innocence and a busy legal week involving other trials, this ruling will solidify the outcome of the months-long proceedings. Finally, in a strategic yet risky political maneuver, the late Alexei Navalny had urged Russians to protest in a unique way during the upcoming election on March 17, 2024. By casting votes precisely at noon, citizens could create long lines at polling stations, a silent yet impactful stand against President Vladimir Putin and his administration. Despite the initial skepticism of Navalny's ally, Ivan Zhdanov, the plan was viewed as a way to circumvent the harsh crackdown on street protests and send a powerful message during these elections. And that's a wrap on our headlines for now. 
Stay tuned for more news updates throughout the day. Turning to our third story today, the focus is on a very pressing issue, where there's growing concern among experts about drug overdoses in children and adolescents. To talk more about this, we have a specialist correspondent, Ethan, who's been following the developments. Ethan, what can you tell us about the situation? Good morning, Grace. Yes, this is indeed a worrying trend. Pediatricians are at the front line, now more than ever, dealing with substance abuse in young patients. The American Academy of Pediatrics has emphasized the necessity for substance abuse prevention to be a part of the pediatrician's daily routine. So what specifically has the AAP been suggesting to pediatricians when it comes to preventing and managing substance abuse? Well, the AAP is pushing for pediatricians to be well-versed in administering naloxone, a life-saving medication for opioid overdoses. The key here is that naloxone is safe even if there isn't an actual overdose. Knowing the signs of an opioid overdose in kids is vital, and it's something pediatricians must be quick to recognize. What about the demographics of these overdose cases? Is there a particular age group that's more at risk? Indeed, there's a bimodal age distribution. Toddlers are typically involved in accidental poisonings, while adolescents tend to experience intentional poisonings due to drug abuse or misuse. It's a concerning pattern that spans a wide age range of our youth. That's troubling. Are there other organizations that are addressing this issue, Ethan? The National Center on Substance Abuse and Child Welfare is emphasizing drug testing as part of a comprehensive approach to help not just the children but also parents affected by substance use. Additionally, the PROTECT initiative is working towards better medication safety for children to reduce these unintentional medication overdoses. With these strategies in place, what's the likelihood that we'll see significant changes in preventing pediatric drug overdoses? It's hard to say for sure, Grace. There's considerable potential impact if pediatricians and all stakeholders involved can execute these strategies effectively. Education, access to treatment, policy changes, addressing risk factors, and investing in primary prevention, these are the keys to making a difference. And what are some potential obstacles they might face? Well, there are always challenges. For example, funding for education programs and treatment services is often limited. There's also the daunting task of changing public policy and healthcare regulation. Plus, we need to ensure all children have equal access to prevention and treatment services, which is a significant hurdle in many areas. Before we wrap up, Ethan, are there any peculiarities in this issue that we should be aware of? A factor to really consider is the mental health aspect, Grace. Mental health issues are often intertwined with substance abuse, so addressing this element is crucial. It's not just about physical treatment for overdose but also supporting the overall well-being of these young individuals. A holistic approach seems necessary indeed. Thank you for the in-depth analysis, Ethan. It certainly gives us a lot to think about concerning what else can be done to protect our children from the dangers of substance abuse. My pleasure, Grace. It's a complex issue, but one that needs attention for the safety of our young people. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.